They mostly come at night. Mostly. This place sure is creepy at night. It's even creepy during the day. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's a type of one good scare. Huh? You're gonna be just fine. I'm your number one fan. Whatever you do, don't fall. in a second floor guest room filled with tall ales and taller tales. Join a group of grown men intent on discussing the intricacies of fantasy and science fiction. Tim Gilbert Media presents Don't Just That We Got it right to the back of our Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. That's hysteria. Enough, I get the point. They are not men, they are dead bodies. Dead. Zombies. The living dead. Look at me, Damien. Hello, all you fans of fleshy toadstools that feel warm and bloated like a man afflicted with dropsy. This is the Dungeons and Dweebs podcast, Halloween Spooktacular, part three. I'm your horrific host, Bob, and tonight, on this All Hallows' Eve, when the veil between this world and the next is at its thinnest, and the spirits of the ancestors are free to wander the countryside, your heroic hosts are ready to draw rapier and flintlock and battle against all the hoary hosts of the netherworld. But I'm not alone in my quests. His mind delves outside this ordered universe. His musings form an amorphous blight of nethermost confusion. He dwells in unlighted chambers beyond time and space, amidst the muffled, maddening beating of vile drums and the thin, monotonous whine of accursed flutes. And that's just when he's in his basement playing Zelda. <laughs> it's Luke. Hey everybody, welcome. Spooktacular 3. Uh, I can't say electric boo after that one. I don't know. <laughs> it's Let's spook harder. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting creepy out there. So yes, we're here with a bonus episode for you tonight. <laughs> you won't have to pay much for it. Just a little nibble of your neck. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> yeah, uh, three short stories tonight. Three hosts, three stories. Speaking of hosts, mm. to my left... He prefers his Satanism with a little candy. That's why Halloween's his favorite. It's Paul. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Spooktacular Part 3. It's excited to be here again. Uh, I'm always enjoying a little bit of a horror with my candy. A yeah, little bit. And what a night for this to be happening. I mean, it has gotten downright frigid outside yeah. around here. Yes. So all the little children are dressed up in their... Their best Halloween costumes, but you can't see them. Nope. Bundled they're, up. They're, they're all right. just jackets and hats. They, oh, that's, that's, oh that's you're, a dre- great, you're that's dressed great. up as a school child waiting for the bus. <laughs> Everybody's a snow Every- trooper this year. 
<laughs> but we're gonna have trick or treaters pretty quick hitting yeah. the door. So and I don't know, man. The aliens might get them outside. They're, they've been roaming around. <laughs> they have been abducting so. people. So why don't we get to our first selection of horror tonight? How about yes. a poetry first? Mm-hmm. That always gets me in the mood. <laughs> How about a piece of poetry about a bishop and some rats? Not rats. The summer and autumn had been so wet that in winter the corn was growing yet. Twas a piteous sight to see all around the grain lie rotting on the ground. Every day the starving poor crowded round Bishop Hato's door, for he had a plentiful last year's store, and all the neighborhood could tell his granaries were furnished well. At last Bishop Hato appointed a day to quiet the poor without delay. He bade them to his great barn repair, and they should have food for the winter there. Rejoice, such tidings good to hear, the poor folk flocked from far and near. The great barn was full as it could hold, of women and children and young and old. Then when he saw it could hold no more, Bishop Hado made fast the door. And while for mercy on Christ they call, he set fire to the barn, and he burnt them all. My faith, tis an excellent bonfire, quoth he, and the country is greatly obliged to me, for ridding it in these times forlorn of rats that only consume the corn. So then to his palace returned he, and he sat down to supper merrily, and he slept that night like an innocent man. But Bishop Hato never slept again. In the morning as he entered the hall where his picture hung against the wall, a sweat like death all over him came, for the rats had eaten it out of the frame. As he looked there came a man from his farm, he had a countenance white with alarm. My lord, I opened your granaries this morn, and the rats had eaten all of your corn. Another came running presently, and he was pale as pale could be. Fly, my lord bishop, fly, quoth he. Ten thousand rats are coming this way. The lord forgive you for yesterday. Uh, I'll go to my tower on the Rhine, replied he. Tis the safest place in Germany. The walls are high and the shores are steep and the stream is strong and, and the water deep. Bishop Hato fearfully hastened away and he crossed the Rhine without delay, and reached his tower and barred with care all the windows, doors, and loopholes there. He laid him down and closed his eyes, but soon a scream made him arise. He stared and saw two eyes of flame on his pillow from whence the screaming came. He listened and looked. It was only the cat, and the bishop, He grew more fearful for that, 
for she sat screaming mad with fear at the army of rats that were drawing near. For they have swum over the river so deep, and they have climbed the shore so steep, and up the tower their way is bent to do the work for which they were sent. They are not to be told by the dozen or score, by thousands they come and by myriads and more. Such numbers had never been heard of before, such a judgment had never been witnessed of yore. Down on his knees the bishop fell, then faster and faster his beads did tell, as louder and louder drawing near the gnawing of their teeth he could hear. And in at the windows, and in at the door, and through the walls helter-skelter they pour, and down from the ceiling and up from the floor, from the right and the left, from behind and before, from within and without, from above and below, and all at once to the bishop they go. For they have wetted their teeth against the stones, and now they pick the bishop's bones. They gnawed the flesh from every limb, for they were sent to do judgment on him. Rats. I hate rats. And you know, I... Oh, wait, wait. No, no. I, that was that, that's Indiana Jones. Yeah, that was Indiana Jones. Yeah. Oh, rats, uh-huh. rats, no, no. no. You know, and I have no experience with rats. Now, now nope. mice, yeah, mice. Actually, I, I do have some experience with rats. They, they're actually pretty fun. They're, they're actually pretty nice, like the pet rats you can get. I oh, had, I had did you have anybody who had a pet rat? I, yeah, up, I have, or did I have, you? I have a, no, I never did, but I had a couple of friends that had pet rats, and they would just kind of crawl around. Hmm. She did lose one of them, and it died. Uh, a, died in, like the corner behind the couch or some terrible oh. thing. It took oh, a while. No. It was the smell that brought that. Oh, that, uh, oh that's awful. That, uh, that that, awful. That's how they found the no, poor I don't, rat. I don't, I don't mind rats. But, I don't know that I'd want one as a pet, though. Yeah, no, I don't get the appeal. I didn't and either, especially but, worse than that, albinos yeah. that have the red eyes. The red yeah, eyes one of them was the albino. Sm- the furless rats. Oh. Furless, no. Furless anything. No, furless I feel like that's you're you're getting one just because you, you like to creep out everybody yes. else. Yes. Yeah. Hey guys, look how quirky I am with my yeah. red. Yeah, as it's like on your shoulder, perched, all saggy skin, just chittering away. <laughs> yeah. like, the, the girl, like, she did have a good bond with the rats. The rats would play with her way more than they would the other people. You know what? It that was... would be that would be a, a, a breakup for me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We'd be dating. That, that would, I would, would show your, up, uh... and if she had like some hairless oh. rat perched on her shoulder, okay, it was not hairless. That was like nibbling on her lip. You know, you know how they do that. Yeah. The owners, they like. Kiss the rats. Isn't it cute? Give me kisses. I, and they put cheese between their teeth and let it like that. That yeah, I, I'd be done. Hard no, that, that's a hard pass. Yeah, I would start making up excuses why um, we couldn't go I, out again. Uh, my grandma just died. Um, um, yeah. I, uh, I, uh, I'm I left, the gar- I left the garage door running. I gotta go. <laughs> but speaking of rats, our first story is a story of rats who have gone out of control. So our first story tonight is Graveyard Shift by none other than the master of horror himself, Stephen King. Ah, yes, the Chris Gaines of the writing world. (laughs) 
What was his? You told me he had a, you wrote under a different name for a little bit. Yeah, uh, Bachman. Bachman. Yeah. Bachman. Which, by the way, if you if you watch the movie version of Graveyard Shift, okay. the textile mill in the movie is called the Bachman Mill. Hold on. Ooh, so. They made a movie out of a 13-page short story. Uh, they have padded it out a lot, but not that much. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> um, we'll talk about the differences a little bit as we get to it. Straight I think up we should. made for TV. Yeah. <laughs> is it made for TV? I don't TV? know. It no, it is not like made it is. for TV because they, like all Stephen King stuff, they like to drop the F-bomb mm. as much as they possibly can. Mm. Late 80s, as well as 1990 that it came Well, frick. I won't recommend it, but if you read this, you should just watch it, just so you can see. <laughs> is it so bad that it's fun? It is fun. Okay. I think okay. it's. I think it's fun if you've read this and just want to see the similarities and okay. differences. It's a good. Yeah, watch it with half your brain. So, <laughs> but this was published first published in October of 1970 in an issue of Cavalier magazine. So this is right at the beginning of uh, Stephen King's career. Okay. Uh, yeah. How many, like, for Cavalier magazine, was that pretty common back then where it's just sort of, uh, they'd have a bunch of magazines? Because I know a couple men's of Men's magazines. Yeah. yeah, a couple of our books that we've done were first published in magazines yeah, like right. this. And when I was growing up, none of that was very common in, like, the 1990s. No, I, I think that's things. gone out of the way now. People yeah. don't. I mean, people aren't reading magazines or their online su- subscriptions. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think it's easier to self-publish a book than it is to get in a, into a magazine. Way easier. Yeah. Now yeah. it's just you That's self-publish right. and you pr- promote the heck out of it. <laughs> They'll let anybody put anything on Amazon. Yes, anything. they will. Anything. Well, let's get into this first spooky book. Yes. Um, so what did you guys think of this? I mean, we're our, our right, out, right out of the gate, we're working at a textile mill. And what I like about all of this is Stephen King writes tales that are extraordinary that are just they feel so ordinary this yes. is just a, a dude he's a drifter oh I, I honestly you could relate to that to him almost immediately of like hall where you yeah you could relate to hall almost immediately of like he's sitting there he's working but he's not working he's in that right. moment where everybody has it at work where hey, you, everyone you're working hard you hide, hide yeah, waking. yeah. yeah. Well, every once in a while you just get in that mode where you just do not want to do anything at work. You're just right. there doing the bare minimum for the day, and then did you guys do go from the there. audiobook on YouTube? For I this? listened to the audiobook. That guy on did YouTube. some hilarious voice. I really like, like, him, I was, yeah. like that New York accent. I, I they should it. they should have gotten him to do the movie because I'll tell you the guy who plays Warwick in the movie is trying to do some oh, some okay. sort of an East hey, Coast, East Coast Nantucket accent. accent. It is. Awful. <laughs> Awful. Okay, then again, all week uh, Boston and New Jersey, um, roughly the same. I really like uh, even little details, like, because it's really hot. Mm-hmm. It is super yep. hot. It's oppressively hot. Late uh, we're, June. We're getting close to the 4th of July. But... Uh, there's like this crush. They, you know, talk about who he looks, and there's a there's a crush thermometer mm-hmm. that's reading the time. And I'm instantly transported. I had an uncle that had this like rusty crush thermometer. You know, because you know, crush the pop. It's okay, like that's a pop. Thing. Okay. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah. They try to do that in the movie, but it's oh not crush. God. It's Lando Lakes. Lando Lakes, Lando Lakes <laughs> milk. So it's like. That's oh, what I always what I go for on a hot summer's day. Oh, Lando the Lakes lake. milk. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's some sort of a joke. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but Oof. this, we find out this textile mill has been overrun with rats, mm-hmm. uh, so much so <laughs> that these guys are just used to like... They're just bored throwing cans at them. Man. Yeah, they're throwing it's, cans at yeah, them. Yeah, it's like if you're just sitting at your desk and go, oh, hey, right. there's a rat. I wonder what I can chuck at it. Yep. Let's Mill, find out. Mill's a drifter, or Hall's a drifter. Mm-hmm. He needs yep. a job, uh, and his boss is a complete dick. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? Yeah, like like Warwick is just riding his butt yeah. all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and so basically he's got a choice. Hey, so you're a drifter. Um, yeah, college boy. Wh- yeah, college boy. Yeah. And this is like, yeah, I'm going to ride you down because you got an education, yep. but you're only working under me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And and so it's like, okay, it's 4th of July is coming up. That's the time we're going to shut down. So I want to clean out the mill. Mm-hmm. Why don't you and oh. some of the other boys who uh, don't have any prospects and really can't say no, why don't yep. you just stick around? Yeah. You know? yeah. It's college this, boy. The, sound, the description that he gave this job just sounds miserable. Right. Definitely. Absolutely miserable. Mind-numbingly bored. I could never do what they are doing at this textile place or no. just this cleaning out of the bottom. If there was one thing that I appreciate the movie for is, okay, I know textile mills, kind of, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of things in my mind. I'm like, I don't really know what exactly yeah. they're doing. I understand the idea of it. Once you, yeah. once you see it uh, on the screen, I'm like, okay, this, okay I, I know what's going on here. But I, one of the things that stood out to me in this opening kind of part is there's the guy, this guy named Wisconsin. Wisconsin, I love that name. And I love the name Wisconsin. I'm Wisconsin, Wisconsin from Wisconsin. And Wisconsin's got to stay back and help him uh, hose everything else out too. But what I I like is, I don't know what was going on here, but he talks about how the boss caught him in the toilet with his pants up. Yeah. So does that that mean he just hits the toilet to rest? Yeah, probably. He's just just feet up resting. He's that guy that will just take a nap while Mm -hmm. sitting on the crapper. I think it's a little more more common these days, uh, you know, just... I'd say, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. Just sitting on the toilet because we know we got cell phones. Cell phones, so yeah, they can yeah. be very entertaining. Hey, on the, it's on always the... good to be paid to poop. <laughs> always get paid to poop. We've got a lot of timestamps, which I say would be chapters. It doesn't matter necessarily where we're at, but this only takes place over a few days. Yeah. Yeah. But let's just get down into it. They begin cleaning up, and they're doing it with this uh, with these giant uh, hoses. Mm-hmm. They're yep. hosing everything out. Yep. Uh, my intro. Weird reference is what I picked up on is is the fleshy mushrooms that are like an old man suffering from dropsy. Hmm. What the hell is dropsy? I Never have heard no it. idea. <laughs> well, okay, so it's when the old man's balls drop real low, and that is what is called dropsy. <laughs> I believe so. So now my my daughter talks about dropsy all the time. So this is that, all I can think about. That's even worse now this that I really, said that. This, it's really <laughs> awful because she takes care of fish. Yeah. Right, she's got a big fish tank, and fish can get dropsy. Mm. And all I know is, in the late stages of dropsy, because I've seen one die, it's like this white fungus or something is growing under their scales, oh. and it's like their bodies are imploding, like or, or exploding. It is a, um, an old-fashioned or less technical term for edema. Oh, oh. edema. Okay, so it's okay. turning white. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. So there you go. Huh. Well, I guess it's definitely not what I thought. So yeah, no, <laughs> no, that's, that sounds like the ap- aftermath of like a stroke or something. A little yeah. bit of dropsies, a little so, uh, hey, You got the dropsies there, son. You got the dropsies. And I like this. There's a good feel here in this workroom. Like they've been working, they've been sweating yeah. balls. Then they're they're mm. up there and they're they're just kicking back and eating. And this is the time where the story comes out about a guy named Ray who got chewed on by a rat the size of a cat. And <laughs> yeah. at first you don't know. Okay, they're trying to scare the college boy with the stories of Ray, or are these rats actually screwed up? They're a little yeah. bit supernatural or a little bit out of the ordinary. They're not your normal rats. Yeah. That are well, I'm just going to, you know, where I'm at at this point in the story, I know they are. You know, It's, it's Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stephen, they got it's it. Stephen King. You know something weird yeah. is going to yeah. happen. 
a very throwaway about Ray going home to the showers. He dreams of rats, but we don't even oh, need that hardly. And but then we come back, and everything kind of Wednesday into Thursday is when everything happens. Mm, so we yeah. got. Uh, they're, we're going through all these old de- desks okay. and all these reams of paper. They're hosing through everything. I do. I do have one question. When they were talking about the carts that they were carrying around, the electric, what were they again? So what? I, I'm not sure. All I can think of is their generators to help push the water through those hoses. Is that what more. that was? But I don't know. Oh, like they don't. They don't a pump. They don't do that in the movie. There's okay. just hoses going all over the place. Yeah. But um, that's all I can think of. Is it some sort of generator? Yeah, it was one of those when they were talking about it. Every time they talked about it, my brain like a power, never, like a power washer. Yeah, my mind could never put. I could never have something in my head while yeah, I well, was doing it. Yeah, what is this it. that they're like, talking about? There wasn't enough description. There mm-hmm. was. I was kind of sitting there going like, uh, yeah, right. I have no idea. So what this in the is. movie, instead of you know the story about Ray getting chewed on by a rat, in yeah. the movie, it's the guy who plays Grimma Wormtongue. Oh, okay. uh, and he is just chewing up the scenery because he's got like long hair. He's got he's the exterminator. He's got an earring, and he's got <laughs> nunchucks, nunchucks in his belt. I don't know why to smack the rats. He's got a fedora, but they definitely they definitely one up the story where he's oh. like they used to take men and they'd stake them out with their arms and legs pinioned, and they make a little cut into the belly, and then they'd put a rat in there, mm. and then they'd put a a hot tub of rice on top of it. And that rat would try to claw its way away from the rice, just eating you away th- right to the warm heart. And, whatever. and that's what happens to one of the girls. It's just, but no, it's not okay. nearly as gory as you think. It's really stupid. Um, <laughs> we didn't, they didn't have the budget for it. They yeah. didn't have the budget for it. It was all back. spent on the giant rat bat, but whatever. <laughs> we'll Jeez. So somebody, somebody gets bit on the nipple. Yeah. And I like, because they make a lot of jokes. Yeah. Oh, you go bit on the nipple. Like, yeah. <laughs> Or you take the day off, you get bit on the nipple. It's very <laughs> obvious that we are supposed to hate Warwick, right? Yes. Like Warwick is just an asshat. Uh, you know, your typical condescending boss who's yeah, just boss. riding you nonstop. Yep. And that's what I like about Stephen King. Stephen King writes blue collar stories. Yeah. Like if you're a work a day guy, um, you get the idea of this, you know, I'm getting rided on. So this is almost in some ways fantasy. A projection of, in some, you know, a projection yeah. of like what maybe you'd want to see if you're in I mean, a dead end job and your boss is riding you all the time. I don't know much about Stephen King's life, but I mean, if he was, if this was like right when he was starting writing right. and things like that, he Not might me. have one of those jobs, and this could be right. a brief mm-hmm. moment. I know of, that at some point, I don't know if it's by 1970, he did have a lot of problem with alcohol and drugs, mm. and that that right. even when he wrote The Shining. That yeah. The Shining was in a lot of ways his way of exploring um, what his family would go through if he became like the father okay. character in that in that book. Okay, but well. I don't know if that started to happen yet. I feel mm-hmm. like now he's just writing blue collar America yeah. fantasy yeah. horror stories. So, he had some job where somebody wronged him. Like oh, I'm gonna write a yeah. book about you one day. There are people who probably a story. there are people who probably devote their lives to studying Stephen King. Probably. We're no experts. There's, there's not <laughs> us. Enough content. Enough. Oh God, yes. So as they're working through the hallways here, they discover that there's a trapdoor to a lower level that they don't, they didn't know was yeah. there. Yeah. Right. Now, did Hall? It was at this point where Hall was like, "This sounds 
suspicious or he knew that it was going to be there or was it was it I, later was it on thursday then i think he, it's on thursday that he feels it's suspicious but is this the place where he throws it back in warwick's face hmm. that i'm going to shut like i'm going to go to the council and i'm going to shut this place no down. that was that was after because he if i if this is where i think it is he hasn't done the research yet right to oh, say right, 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 right. to say like hey i know that there's something underneath and it's this. thursday when it's he comes thursday that he yeah. comes back and he's like Hey, screw you. We have to go down there, and I'm going to shut everything down. Right. And so Hall and poor Wisconsin are the ones that have to go down there. And I'm going to have a question about what happens to Wisconsin. Yeah. Okay. Well, he runs back, doesn't he? Yes, he he does. I I have an image of Wisconsin in my head of, like, just that short, really, like, awkward built, like, like, fatter, like... (laughs) Always pudgy. Yeah, friend that you just have. You know who I see? I see, like, Chris Farley. No, I'm thinking he's not the guy. Not the guy that's Chris Farley, but he looks like him. He's 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 no bigger. Idea. He's from Minnesota. He's um. Was he in anything? I don't know. I'm trying it's not to Richard think. Dean Anderson. It's not Richard Dean. Yeah. It's an Anderson though. Well, Louis Anderson from Louis. Family. Oh, <laughs> yes. Louis, Louis Anderson. That's who it is. Did the guy die of like a massive heart yes, attack he did. or something? Yes, no. I think it was. I swear he, he died of a heart attack. He's still kidding. What? Yeah, I just watched. He does stand up now. Really? Oh, is he thinner? Because <laughs> I feel no, he like... doesn't. He doesn't look good. Okay. I was gonna say, so I feel like Wisconsin is a young Louis Anderson. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's, he's uh, oh, sixty-six yeah. years old. 66. He was just in um, Baskets. Yeah, he was the... He's the mom. Yeah, he's the mom. <laughs> or something. He's, he's a female okay, character weird. on Baskets on uh, Amazon weird. Prime. Yeah, I remember that now. I remember hearing an interview with him, and I thought, he, yeah, I totally thought he was dead. Well, anyway, Louis Anderson and old Hall go down through the trap door, <laughs> and uh, Wisconski goes, or uh, not Wisconski, Warwick goes yeah, with they, as they well. they drag him with. Hall yep. makes sure. And this is where he, he brings up the whole, like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go go to the, you know, yeah, cause, the zoning ordinances. And, what's his name? The, the manager. I forget. I always forget his name. Warwick. Warwick. Warwick, Warwick was like, hey, if you don't go down there. Then get out. You're fired. You know, whatever. And then that's when Hall comes back and goes, hey, sure, fire me. Go ahead. But then I'm going to go and I'm going to get the council. I'm going to get everything back. And you guys will be shut down forever. And I doubt the company will like that you did that Mm. to us. Right, so, so they all are—they all go down in this. Everybody else is watching, kind of, you know. I, everybody's just sweaty, '80s sweaty. Um, they're, they're, they're opening up. Everybody this, was sweaty the whole time. Yeah, all the time. They are. They this, were, this they, movie. They are drenched and sweaty, geez. gross the whole time. Right, it must have been a very uncomfortable set. It must have, uh, but, yeah, it must have smelled like uh, a bunch of football players crap in the hall. But we find <laughs> out there's this guy named Elias Varney, 1841. Mm. I didn't take the time to look that up as if that maybe that's a reference to something. But it's from before the mill was built. So we're connecting to something that's older than this mill. Yeah. Right? And Wisconsin can't take it anymore, right? And so he, he wigs out and leaves. Oh, yeah. Right? Wisconsin is just freaking out. He's like, nope, yep. nope, nope. I'm out. I'm out. So they, they, they approach this section that extends beyond the old, old mill. They're surrounded by rats and bats. There's skeletons. There's bits of skeletons. And that's when we finally see it. So all these rats have been kind of, are they working for or minions of yeah. this gigantic rat? 
that is the size of a small cow. A rat Yeah, it's king. just, it was like a rat queen. I thought it was yeah, a rat queen. Yeah, rat queen. Because they were talking about how, like, as they were walking in, the rats and everything would slowly form it's, in behind well, them even. It like, says that all her job is is to breed more rats. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. That, that she just... She is the ant queen of the rats. Yeah, yeah. Um, all I get on Elias Varney, 1841, when I Google it, is this book. So, <laughs> okay, so it's, never it's not mind. Anything. All right, there you well, go. Okay. So, and this is where Hall decides he's going to take it out on Warwick. Mm. And he sprays oh, yeah. sprays Warwick yeah. right into the rat. The rat just, like, chews him up. Mm. Right? Oh, yeah, the rats start freaking out and attacking him. And Hall's like, well, all right, time to go. I, mean, I, get, I get, like, your boss is a dick. You don't have to, like, but you, like him. But feed, feed him to a rat yeah, queen. That's, <laughs> that's, some, that's a lot of pent-up rage. But we, we see the flip here. He pays for this. I'm thinking Hall's going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. He yeah. doesn't. Yeah. Right? Because we get bats and rats and rats and bats. And eventually, like, the one <laughs> jumps on him, like, bites off the top of his skull cap or something. There's something about the was, top of his skull. It was weird where, like, he, they, were, they were gnawing at the top of his skull and tripping him up. And finally, he collapses onto his knees and eventually is overwhelmed. So mm. that all the other yeah. people just hear is just his screams. Right. And also mm. laughter, I think. Wasn't he laughing at the end? I don't remember end? the laughter. But I, yeah, that's what I remember, but I could be t- entirely wrong. Right. And we end on a really weird place. Mm. where I, I like the ending. I it's, like the ending where it's just like, so everybody hears this and they prepare to go down themselves. And we don't have a resolution. We don't, a, we don't know what ends up happening here. That's a big it's, note for me. Yeah. If I, if well, I'm I mean, here, it's, it's been a whole day. Nobody's heard right. from them. And I'm day. not going to tell you how the movie resolves, but just go watch it. Oh, <laughs> Is it that? It's really bad. One of probably the worst thing that I think the choice the movie makes, besides the effects of the bat rat, um, <laughs> are are the fact that one of the things I like about Hall is that he constantly picks up cans oh. and he throws them at rats. Mm-hmm. In the movie, it's like the weirdest thing I've ever seen. He grabs cans, but he puts them in a wrist rocket. I don't know why he has a wrist rocket and shoots the cans with a wrist well, rocket. No, Who gonna, shoots cans with a wrist rocket? You don't casually go to work with a wrist rocket to shoot cans? <laughs> Not where we work. <laughs> Isn't it fun. easier to throw a can than shoot a can with yeah. a wrist rocket? I don't even understand. Yeah. I, I did, by the way, I just pulled up the story and something about ripping away a flap of Hull's scalp. Yes. Ugh. Holy Cow. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's nope. pretty awful. And yeah, he dies laughing a high pitched scream. Oh, just delicious. that like I, I can just imagine the old eighties just screech oh, at the end of the movie. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So um so your thoughts, uh, would you recommend this uh, this little gem? Uh, it's it's oh, yeah. held up as being a pretty good one yeah. uh, by Stephen King. It's one of his short stories, I think. It's, it's such a short, short story that, yes. Yeah. I, I really, some of, I know I've tried reading some of other Stephen King's other stuff. And he gets I very long-winded. I could not get into mm-hmm. it. But this was yeah. so short, concise. It has everything I want in it. You know, it's got some death. It's got some <laughs> disgustingness. And rats. I, you love rats. I love my rats. <laughs> Actually, no, I don't. And I, I agree. I would I would recommend reading this one. It's a fun sure. little short read. Yeah, look, but, it um, on, look it up on YouTube. Check out that audio book. Yeah, that audio book yeah. is really good on YouTube. It's like the first thing that pops up. So um, I might actually have to listen to yeah, it. Yeah, they do a nice job. But anyway, uh, so I, I see uh, people are starting to open up their doors. Kids are, are moving around. Yeah. So. Oh, hey, guys, I, I, think, I think I see some pirates coming our way. Some pirates? Yeah. They carried him out on the barren sand, where the rebel captains died. 
With a grim, grey rotting given stand, as Magellan reared them on the strand. And the gulls that haunt the lonesome land wail to the lonely tide. Drake faced them all like a lion at bay, with his lion head unflung. Dare ye my word of law defy, to say this traitor shall not die. And his captains dared not meet his eye, but each man held his tongue. Solomon Cain stood forth alone, grim man of somber face. Worthy of death he may be, but the trial ye held was a mockery. Ye hide your spite in this travesty where justice hid her face. More of a man had ye been on deck your sword to cleanly drawn, in forthright fury from its sheath, and openly cleave him to the teeth, rather than slink and hide beneath the hollow word of the law. Hell rose from the eyes of Francis Drake. Puritan knave, he swore. Headsman, give him the axe instead. He shall strike off yon traitor's head. Solomon folded his arms and said, darkly and somberly, I am no slave to your butcher work. Bind him with triple strands. Drake roared and the men obeyed, hesitantly, as if afraid. But Cain moved not as they took his blade and pinioned his iron hands. They bent the doomed man over his knees, the man who was to die. They saw his lips in a strange smile bend. One last long look they saw him send at Drake his judge and his one-time friend who dare not meet his eye. The axe flashed silver in the sun, a red arc slashed the sand, a voice cried out as the head fell clear, and the watchers flinched in sudden fear. Though twas but a seabird wheeling near above the lowly strand. This be every traitor's end, Drake cried yet again. Slowly his captains turned and went, and the admiral's stare was elsewhere bent. Then there the cold scorn with anger bent in the eyes of Solomon King. Night fell on the crawling waves, the admiral's door was closed. Solomon lay in the stenching hole, his irons clashed as the ships rolled. And his guard, grown weary and overbold, laid down his pipe and dozed. He woke with a hand at his corded throat that gripped him like a vice, trembling he yield up the key. And the somber Puritan stood free, his cold eyes gleaming murderously, with the wrath that was slow to rise. Unseen to the Admiral's door, when Solomon came from the guard. Through the night and the silence of the ship, the guard's keen dagger in his grip, no man of the dull crew saw him slip through the door unbarred. Drake at the table sat alone, his face sunk in his hands. He looked up as from sleeping, but his eyes were blank from weeping, as if he saw not creeping death's slowly flowing sands. He reached no hand for gun or blade to halt the hand of Cain, nor even seemed to hear or see, lost in a black mist of memory. Love turned to hate and treachery and bitter, cankering pain. A moment Solomon Cain stood there, the dagger poised before, as a condor swooped above the birds, and Francis Drake spoke not nor stirred, 
And Cain went forth without a word and closed the cabin door. All right, so we're back, and now it's time for one of my favorite authors. Uh, Love to pull him out always at Halloween. Robert E. Howard and The Moon of Skulls, which is another tale of Solomon Cain. Gotta love Solomon Cain. There's nothing like good old, the good old Puritan Solomon Cain. For for people who haven't listened to our other ones, if you're not familiar, Solomon Cain is uh, like your, I would say, wouldn't you, that he's kind of like a vampire hunter. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, I would say he's a hunter of anything not natural. Not natural, yeah, yeah. Werewolves sure. and so paranormal, death, paranormal. Paranormal hunter. I mean... He looks like your Puritan, yep. uh, your typical Puritan. Definitely Van Helsing. I was like, you know, he's yes, Van Helsing. Yes, So, but uh, I was trepidatious about this one. Uh, first published in Weird Tales. Uh, part one was in June of 1930 and part two, July of 1930. Uh, but this... Unlike the other things we've read, this is the one where Howard shows his hand at being having some that some being, racist tendencies. Being written in the 1930s. Being written in the <laughs> 1930s. So you're always thrown with the question: Do you take an author uh, for where he was at the time in history? That mm-hmm. doesn't excuse him for being uh, abhorrent, the, yeah. having abhorrent ideas. Yeah. Um, but is the writing, can the writing transcend um, some of those things? I think the problem with this story in a lot of ways for a lot of people is going to be um, this is a story that's going to take place on the continent of Africa, mm-hmm. and he is going to have disparaging things to say about African tribes. But at the same time, I'll say at the top of it, that is Howard's view of everybody. Like, in, a, in some ways, he's going to say the same thing. Like, we're going to have this talk about Atlantis. Yeah. And the Atlantis people are going to be disparaging to both whites and blacks. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it's they, Howard was super fatalistic yes. and kind of believed that all society and, and was farcical. Societies and, that don't look similar will assume the one that doesn't look like them are savages. Uh, yeah. That's, that's yeah. basically so what he's he would throwing do. throwing out the word savage a lot of times for every. For everything, yep. you know, when he's when he's got two white cultures clashing, it's always one savage versus another savage. Mm, yeah, but it's, it can be racially charged. So, just everybody be aware of that as we're getting into this book. Yeah, you know, yeah. if you read this book, yeah, we probably won't reference things. it a lot. Yeah. But it's there. When you read it, you'll definitely oh, hear yeah. it. You know oh, what I'm yeah. saying? So, <laughs> yeah, you notice it in the first like. Chapter one, minutes. we'll try to blitz through some of this. But chapter one, a man comes seeking. And I love this opening because Solomon Cain is like climbing this cliff. He's done this with Conan as well. Yeah. There's sometimes when Robert E. Howard's a one-trick pony. And he, likes to, <laughs> he likes to start off this hey, way. He's found his niche and he knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so she, he's Solomon Cain's climbing this, this, uh, this cliff. Um, and there, he sees just these dark figures above him, and all of a sudden, something like somebody tries to drop a boulder on his yeah. head, right? He likes that. It's also uh, well. I wrote uh, "Skull in the Stars." How about uh, "Skulls in the the Moon"? For, uh, for, uh, yeah, for no, 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 the Moon of Skulls. Yes, <laughs> yes. There we go. There we go. So, um, but he makes it to the top. He lives through it. They don't get him. It just kind of, yeah. kind of, kind of grazes him. Yep. But he makes it, it, it to the top. shoulder. And this actually, I don't think in the beginning, I did not know this was a Solomon Cain story because I didn't read oh, anything okay. about it. Right. All I saw was the moon of skulls. And I didn't even look at who it was by. I just started reading based off of what you gave me. Yeah, Completely right. honest, Bob. <laughs> and uh, 
then it was that first chapter where they don't mention Solomon Cain at all. You could kind of tell that it was a Solomon Cain story, and then right. in that second chapter, they bring him in and just say, Solomon Cain, the Puritan right. warrior. But I, I, again, when Solomon Cain and Conan were first being published by Marvel, they were in a, a book called Savage Tales. Mm-hmm. And that nothing describes the writing of Howard than savage. Everything is very yeah. savage and barbaric with him. And as soon as he comes to the top, Solomon Cain. Uh, sees uh, one of the natives has been pinioned up on all of these stakes, hanging like a scarecrow with one one finger pointing Mm -hmm. backwards at him in like a sign of get out of here, Mm -hmm. go no farther, right? And so Solomon, but he doesn't. Cain continues on. Nobody tells Cain what to do. And we don't know what he's... Basically what it is. We don't know yet what he's after, but we find out later that he is after a girl who has been taken... uh, from Solomon from an acquaintance Cain. of his, quite yeah. the ladies' man. Yeah. Ah, but he would never no. tarnish the purity of this because girl. he's a Puritan. Yes. Unlike Conan, who literally is getting everybody naked and jumping in the bedroll with everybody. <laughs> Solomon Cain. I think he he almost wanted to have a character that was Conan's exact opposite. Mm-hmm. He's doing everything Conan does. Yeah. But what would happen if first you're a person who wants to to do it all, and then a person who wants to abstain from everything. I, I feel like Conan, though, is more like brute strength. Well, yes. Solomon is like dexterity. Yes. Solomon is that He is not of, a muscle-bound. Yeah, he, he will dodge and duck out of everything. For sure. But I do like, when I when I read Solomon Cain books, I definitely go back to John Carter of Mars. Yes. That is, I don't know. Edgar Rice Burroughs, very uh, similar Very similar, stuff. similar mm. stuff. Yeah. Was it a similar time era, I think? He published it in the same era. Yeah, yeah. so it's definitely one of those where, I mean, it's... Yep. You can I would see say that same savage. And there's also the Wild West is ending. And so kind of like how people would wistfully look back at Cowboys as being like some sort of heroic time in America. I think there was people who were, who were looking back at barbarism and like this as being like, hey, we're becoming civilized, right? The Roaring Twenties are coming yeah. in. Um, you know, the farmers are going away and kind of let's return. Turn, I don't know, a call to return to naturalism, mm-hmm. uh, to espouse civilization and this barbaric hero. Um, but anyway, I we get in here and Cain is met by a tribesman who says they will he will take him to these people called the Nakari. He is looking yes. for these people called the Nakari. Um, and we have this fight on a ravine, uh, which is pretty epic. You know, all kinds oh, yeah, of they're, dueling. They're all- going to kill him and he's just... Goes all for it. Yep, and he gets pushed off. Uh, one of the guys jumps for him. He grabs him. They topple off the cliff. And I love this. Solomon Kane has the presence of mind yeah. to flip him over so that when they land, he lands on top of the, the guy who <laughs> grabs him. Um, and they haven't fall, plunged far. They fall on a ledge. Uh, yeah, I think, wasn't it his sword, basically, that killed the guy first? Yes, yes. Got him in the otherwise, gut or yeah, something Otherwise, like I that. think the guy probably might have lived. <laughs> I... Yeah, the guy might have lived. I have no idea. Right. So as we get into chapter two, the people of the stalking death. Mm. Yeah, we find out that on that ledge, it's actually a cave. And as he goes through it, there's phosphorescent algae growing in there that lights the path. And he is attacked by snakes, this giant snake, just to add a little touch of... I mean, every chapter in these Solomon Cain books has some sort of excitement to it. Yes. It has some, you always know in this in a chapter that something bad or exciting, some fight 
will happen or Solomon will get stuck in some weird way that he has to find a way out of. Right. And we find he comes around the corner and here he's, you know, things start to look like they've been built. The cave stops yeah. being a cave and he emerges into this giant temple mm-hmm. and it's filled with the Nakari. Um, And this is where, of course, you get a little bit of the hint of racism. This is the only time that I'm going to really reference it. But it's things like this that are dropped, which is where he says things like the the Nakari seem as out of place amongst the ruins as as a troop of monkeys would seem in an English courtroom. Um, It's stuff like that. What he's alluding to, so if I, I can't ex- excuse it, mm-hmm. uh, but I think what we're meant to take from this is that what, much like Lovecraft, Howard is going on this, there's these civilizations that were built in the past. Unlike how we see civilization as being a progression from uh, out of chaos to order, there was people like Lovecraft and Howard who liked to envision there being a heroic past where people were smarter, yeah. better, civilization was more grand, and we had devolved out of that. And now we're just now gaining our ground again. Yeah. And so it was like, oh, there's this huge temple that obviously these people didn't create that has is from a disappeared cyclopean civilization. Yeah. It's, like, it's like that ever-ending cycle. You, know, right. you, you get smart enough to finally you do something that will ruin you right. and then go back to this. Right. Like maybe they were being they were worshipped. Worshipping Cthulhu, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm just waiting for something like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I like all this uh, stuff. Kane sneaks past all of this. Coming into the empty hall, halls, he enters a room guarded by two men and climbing up over them into the window. Like he, they're standing there and he climbs up all these frescoes, like these giant... Yeah sculptures or whatever and finds this little hole into the next room. He assassin creeds it. He just kind of <laughs> avoids the guards and hey, hey, there's a hole. Yeah, and as he drops in there on this bed chamber, this is where he finds Marilyn who from now on he'll call Mara. But it's yeah. it's Marilyn. This is who he's been searching for. She was a, a girl who was uh, who was stolen uh, from her her cousin, cousin, <laughs> these, right? These, uh, yeah, her cousin. Her cousin wanted her out of the will so that he could get all of the money. The usual story. <laughs> I was gonna yeah. say. This, so he they, sells her into like, like, like that. Though, like, you have a mission. Chapter two, done. Got it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got this. Got this. Right. So, um, and it's the time to, old story. Yeah, sells yeah. sells her, and through roundabout ways has en- ended up in mm. Africa with this tribe. Right, and he's been hunting for yeah. the whole time. I don't know how to take Marilyn because I don't know if we're ever given an age for her. She's referred to as a woman, but then as a girl, as a tiny girl, like having a tiny girl's face. So I think she's supposed to be sexual. Maybe. But I don't don't really know. Like, I don't think she's supposed to be 12 or anything like that. I think she's supposed to be a fully grown woman, but through Kane's eyes, because he's. Puritan, and he's Cain, he's not going to see her as sexual, so we don't get the usual lewd descriptions of her. He will will take her as a flower that needs to be protected in his mind. That is is what he is going with. And so now we find out that this Nakari, the sensual Nakari enters, um, who is the, the leader priestess. Of these people, and she is constantly naked. Yes, and if, very if, hot. If Uncle Claude was here, you know he would go. 
Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, he was um, <laughs> But yeah, so if we're going to have somebody who is painted as being a very sexual being, you know, she's yes. always very described as being very cat-like. Sexual and, and powerful. And powerful. Yes. She is the leader of these Nakari. And whereas the Nakari are kind of always described as being in some ways mindless, we'll find out where that comes from, actually, yeah. in, a, in a little bit. But Nakari is definitely their, their mindful leader. But what did you take off of what, has been going on between her and Mara. We know that Mara is supposed to be a virgin for the sacrifice. Yes. But he keeps talking about blasphemous and unspeakable things that have happened. And I don't know if we're supposed to take it as only being sacrifices, uh, you know, warriors being killed and yeah. horrible things. Or if there's like weird sexual rituals that are going I think it's supposed to be up to your own depraved imagination. So we know what you thought. Which <laughs> yes, which which is what I like about Howard is a yes. lot of times he'll just and Lovecraft does the same yeah. thing where he'll just throw out things like blasphemous depravity that yeah. no man should speak of and basically however depraved you are yeah. is what you can fill yeah. in there, yeah. which is what I like. Mm. I do too. You know it's Solomon Kane too, so you know they could just be cussing too much and you get all the <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I've heard too many MFs coming from in this cave. <laughs> you are eating that food with your fingers. Please, could you eat, you? use some utensils? Disgusting. Your use hand utensils. will be taken now. <laughs> no finger foods. <laughs> but as we find out, she grabs some sort of tassel, pulls it, and he falls through a trap door, and he is a captive. Oh, yeah, yeah. She, she calls him out immediately. Oh, yeah. It, it was actually, I liked the confrontation between her and I really like Kane, it. where it was just... He thinks he has the upper hand, and she just destroys him. And because she wants him, she's yeah. like, "You can rule with me. I have never seen a white man, yeah. and mm-hmm. I would, I want you to, you know, kind of join me, join me, be my, be my king, yeah. rule this, rule this land, and we will spread across the world until our tribe conquers everything." Right, and she's just hot and feathered and naked. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it'd be hard to say no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, Uncle Klob, immediate answer, yes. Uh, but now we get kind of the kernel in Chapter 5 for a thousand years. Um, this is where we get kind of the some cool world building. I love when Howard, and like Lovecraft, throws out these little nuggets to a bygone era, just enough yeah. to tantalize you. But we get a huge—so like, when he falls through the trap door, right, he stumbles upon this prisoner because he escapes, right? Yeah, he, Did he I does, co- we didn't cover that. No, he right? he he doesn't <clears throat> fall through the trap door. I thought he gets knocked out by Nakari, and she throws him in jail. And I thought through- she he she he falls through a trap door and gets knocked out in the falling. And when he wakes up, he is trapped. I thought he got because I thought he got thrown in jail, and he overcomes the his captors while well, they were bringing him to her. He does overcome he the captors. Through- I thought they were taking him out of the cell. They were, they were putting him in the cell. Oh, I might have after, screwed that yeah, up. Yeah, I think I think you got that one mixed okay. up because they they she knocks him out. She clocks him. He doesn't expect a female. I don't know what it I is. Swear to, he falls through a trap door. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. He, okay. does, he does go through a trap door. Don't okay. worry. But it's so I think it's he gets knocked out and held captive. Then he has two of the warriors bringing him to Nakari. This is where uh, she offers all of those things to him. She wants hmm. him to see some of the sacrifices. She visited him in the jail, offered okay. offered her, offered her as her, his queen, and they could rule all of that stuff. They're being so uh, if you, then they if move. She him. offers her honor. 
Then honor her offer. There'll be <laughs> offer and on her all night. Is that where that comes from? No. Yeah, yeah, that's from old Solomon Cain. <laughs> yeah, old, old Solomon Cain. Yeah. Uh, um, sorry. But then he overcomes the warriors uh, by tricking them, obviously. And as he's being, as he bumps into a wall, he finds that trap door. And he hits the trap door. That's a spin, different trap door. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's the spin around trap yeah, door. Around when he's getting drunk, I swear yeah. he goes through a trap door. Then he's a prisoner, and they're dragging no, him past the, the way, door. It's the other way around. He, she knocks him out. Well, either way, let's he just, escapes. Let's call the whole thing off. And he, <laughs> he escapes through the little revolving trap door in the wall, right? And this yeah. is when he runs into this uh, prisoner, and that's when we get this entire Atlantis uh, yes. mythos. And I love that. He also says Atlantis or Moo because last podcast on the lefters. I haven't watched. Oh, haven't, there's a whole thing they talk one. about. It, it was like this whole thing about that was a belief. Some sort of psychic had written books and books about the continent of Moo, which is the Moo. dumbest thing I've ever <laughs> seen. This was a time when Atlantis, Moo, and Lemuria, like, I mean... People are just believing whatever at this if time. Gonna, if you're going to come up with a name for a continent... Moo, moo is not the thing. The thing that cows do? Why? <laughs> Why? They were, high, they were high on LSD uh, and somebody was A lot like, of opium. Hey, There's hey, a lot of opium. That cow noise, it's a continent. Yeah. yeah that, those cows are talking about continents. Guys. And we get a lot of... And racism. This is kind of racism. Uh, yeah, or blatant racism. Blatant. Uh, from Atlantis racism. Mm-hmm. Because Atlanta, the Atlantean, it's almost like Howard's cutting the difference. He's like, we have a... A black race that we're talking about. We have Solomon Kane, who is white, and now he goes through a lot of very specifics about how the Atlantean Atlanteans were brown, and they're gonna think that both the other races are like Savages. mongrel, savage versions <laughs> yep. of them that have spun out of their brown Atlantean race. Um, and, and he ta- tells about the fall of the Nagari and how the race took over with this renegade priest named Nakura. And then this is where we find out about the skull. So where this name of this book comes from is the skull that resides in a tower. And we find out it's all a farce. The priest goes yep. up there, speaks through the skull, and it's <laughs> amplifying his voice. And it's not real. Yeah. Nothing about this skull that somehow is miraculously over the eons. Oh, the not Wizard of Oz trick. Apart. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the Wizard master. of Oz. It is the Wizard of Oz trick, right? Pay no attention to the priest behind the skull. <laughs> so the priests have this skull in the tower. He gives us the piece of information that we need for the yeah. final part of the story, which is they are going to sacrifice Mara on the altar. Um, and he better get his butt there because yeah. it's going to happen like now. And then the Atlantean dies. I'm going to give you all the vital information, and then I'm logging off. And then he dies. <laughs> yes, exactly. And goodbye. <laughs> yep, it dies. Yeah. So the last two chapters go very quick because it's a yes. fight. The shattering of the skull. Cain rushes to stop the sacrifice. I love this because I'm thinking this is going to be a straight through line. He comes to a staircase. He's like, do I go right? Do I go left? He goes right, ends up in the wrong tower. Completely screwed up. Hey, left for loot. Always (laughs) left for loot. Right? So he's wondering what he can do, but then he's got to make good. He's like, he can see the skull. They're all like doing their dance. I mean, they got her on the altar. He thinks he's Nakari's coming over. Or the priest is coming over. Nakari's there. Everything's going on. He thinks all is lost. And he's like, wait, I've got a pistol. And he's got one shot Mm. and he shoots the skull. And the skull shatters into a thousand pieces. And I love the illusion that happens here then is that then it's like it shatters 
the minds of all the followers. Yes, yeah, it shatters the power. It's their god is gone. They they start freaking out. Right, and so we get this idea that e- this group that that has followed Nakari has become extremely. I hate to use the word degenerate because mm-hmm. that's what he's going to say, and it's sometimes used in a race racial context. But that they have followed after the the dark god and have become so wanton Listen of human Kiri, flesh. You didn't need the skull. The skull wasn't here all along. <laughs> it was inside of you. It was inside Literally. <laughs> yeah, in your skull. Um, so basically, he in the ensuing pandemonium, they start killing each other. Yeah. She, he grabs a girl and gets out of there. He does have the final confrontation with Nakari. Right. I like that final just lashing out towards each other. They're fighting each other. And, and he you're stupid. No, you're stupid. But he doesn't get the killing blow no. yeah. on Nakari. It's like Correct. the other, the guy who is going to commit, do the sacrifice. Yep. He like, I don't really know what happens, grabs her and someone dashes her head against the, against the, the, the altar. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's all eyes for him. She wants to kill Solomon, but doesn't pay attention to the people around her. And that's mm-hmm. what, that's what kills her. Yeah. So. And again, uh, if you're not reading it, this doesn't do justice to the visceral feel because there's a lot of like descriptions yes. of uh, Howard does a really good dra- job of I think describing action and kind of that barbaric feel of hand to hand combat, yep. you know, uh, which I really like. We have a weird chapter seven, which is the faith of Solomon, you know, in you just which a little quick uh, Christianity pitch, you know, he does, <laughs> he does, but not really. So what's weird is uh, I believe Robert E. Howard does not espouse any kind of faith, and I believe might have been atheist. Um, so when really? he so when he writes Puritan Solomon Cain, even though he'll allude to his Puritan, if you'll notice, he doesn't a lot of times talk about God. No, it's all good and evil. It's all good and evil, and he's alluding to his Puritan ideals and morals. But even here, as he talks about his faith, he does quote the Book of Isaiah, but I. It's a weird version of Christianity that okay. Solomon Cain is definitely doing his own thing. Mm-hmm. He's his own deal. <laughs> you know, everyone's got their thing. He's got his own thing. <laughs> but uh, thoughts on Solomon Cain? Because I, I thought it was uh, kind of a good romping, romping read. After handing it out, I'm like, I don't know how Halloween this one was. Mm-hmm. There's another one that takes place where they're fighting a bunch of vampires. Okay. That would have been better maybe next year. Maybe. But, um, but. I thought it was a fun. I don't know. Movie. I haven't read any bad Solomon Cain yet. So. Yeah, I, I love. Yeah, Solomon that's Cain. it's a Solomon Cain story. To be when you go into a Solomon Cain story, you kind of expect the same right. thing. And I, it's I be love skulls. <laughs> he's gonna be wearing one of those big Puritan uh, Thanksgiving hats yeah. yep. with the buckle. A, he's gotta have a hat. He's he's gotta have his sword, gun. Yep, yep. Got a pistol gun. though. Yeah, no, never must. And I would recommend never watching the movie. Because that gives you no feel for what Solomon Cain is. <laughs> really? Not at all. Not at all. Um, so, all right. Well, um, I'm hearing some knocking at the door, though. So, if we, we, Hopefully it's trick-or-treaters. I hope it's trick-or-treaters and it's not somebody turning off the power. <laughs> when age fell upon the world and wonder went out of the minds of men, When grey cities reared to smoky skies, tall towers grim and ugly, in whose shadow none might dream of the sun or of the spring's flowery meads. When learning stripped earth of her mantle of beauty, 
and poets saying no more save of twisted phantoms seen with bleared and inward-looking eyes. When these things had come to pass, and childish hopes had gone far away, there was a man who traveled out of life on a quest into the spaces whither the world's dreams had fled. Of the name and abode of this man but little was written, for they were of the waking world only. Yet it is said that both were obscure. It is enough to know that he dwelt in the city of high walls where the sterile twilight reigned, and that he toiled all day among shadows and turmoil, coming home at evening to a room whose one window opened not on the fields and groves, but on a dim court where other windows stared in dull despair. From the casement one might see only walls and windows, except sometimes when one leaned far out and peered aloft at the small stars that passed, and because mere walls and windows must soon drive into madness a man who dreams and reads much. The dweller in that room used night after night to lean out and peer aloft, to glimpse some fragment of things beyond the waking world and the grayness of the tall cities. After years he began to call the slow sailing stars by names, and to follow them in fancy when they glided regretfully out of sight, till at length his vision opened to many secret vistas whose existence no common eye suspected. And one night a mighty gulf was bridged, and the dream-haunted skies swelled down to the lonely watcher's window to merge with the close air of his room and make him a part of their fabulous wonder. There came to that room wild streams of violet midnight glittering with dust of gold, vertices of dust and fire swirling out of the ultimate spaces and heavy with perfumes from beyond the worlds. Opiate oceans poured there, litten by suns that the eye may never behold, and having in their whirlpools strange dolphins and sea nymphs of unrememberable depths. Noiseless infinity eddied around the dreamer and wafted him away without ever touching the body that leaned swiftly from the lonely window. And for days not counted in men's calendars, the tides of far spheres bared him gently to join the dreams from which he longed the dreams that men have lost. And in the course of many cycles, they tenderly left him sleeping on a green sunrise shore, a green shore fragrant with lotus blossoms and starred by red camelots. All right, on to the final story of the evening on this Halloween. <laughs> The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> nothing feels like Halloween, or nothing says Halloween like H.P. Lovecraft. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So if you don't like him, well, sorry, he's going to be a staple of spooktacular yes. for a while. I know. I know. Right. <laughs> so uh, we were let in here by a nice reading of Azathoth. Yes. Uh, but uh, he might come up here a little bit because Azathoth, one of the outer gods, I think. And so we're going to be talking here about... Mm-hmm. 
about um, well, no, Azathoth. Yogg-Sothoth. 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 Right. And what is his relation to Cthulhu and everything else? So mm-hmm. we might get into this. Yeah. So this is the Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft, mm-hmm. first published in the April 1929 issue of Weird Tales. Again, friends with uh, mm-hmm. Howard being published at the same time, both being published in Weird Tales, among other things. Yeah. So I, I like all this. And an odd... I, I know I've heard... Um, I guess I haven't asked a lot of people, but from everybody I have asked, this is their favorite. Yeah, a lot of people really like it. it's different. Except for the one guy on YouTube, because I started listening to a bunch of reviews of of it, and the one guy said that it was his least favorite. But he was a guy that was just sitting in a weird bookstore and seemed... Pretty energetic. I, I don't it, know. It's, it's the least Lovecraftian of all the Lovecraft stuff. Which is sometimes is what I like because Lovecraft, yeah. I always think, is like reading a newspaper article about yep. events that have happened. That's that's and, normally why I don't like yeah. Lovecraft. I yeah. will wholeheartedly admit I am not a big Lovecraft fan. Right. I love the creatures. I love the background that they are in. Mythos. The mesotone. Yeah, the mythos. Yeah. But... The a lot of the stories I really yeah. struggle getting into. This is one that I would point people to if they don't have never read Lovecraft. Start out with the Dunwich, Dunwich Horror. If you yeah. like that, you yeah. can dive deeper into the emotionless writings of yes. Lovecraft. You know, and see if you like that. You know, I don't know because there there is a lot of like little uh, mythos, like Easter egg nuggets, like. Oh, yeah. There's, ooh, there's, ooh, the Arkham uh, yeah. Eschatonic University. I feel like this is, in some ways, a story that's the hub mm. around which a lot of stories circle. Because, yeah. I mean, a lot of you, times. you don't need those Easter eggs. You can just kind of tell Miss Eschatonic University. I'm going to assume they're going to be doing something with magic. And right, right. And it makes me just want to play the game. Yes, that is exactly. <laughs> I want to play Arkham Horror. Yeah, yeah. I need to fortify, fortify myself with whiskey. Um, so it opens up chapter, <laughs> and chapter one is just... Um, setup. There's about an awful are. lot of setup here about cool. kind of kind of the region. I like this because it's like you're you're driving down into this yep. this old Massachusetts community, but we find out that it's like a really separate kind yeah. of Massachusetts mm-hmm. community where they've become real hicks. This this is kind of probably where I get a little bit of hate here. I don't like how much too setup. too much build up. There was like three or four chapters of pure setup and it even says it in one of the chapters where it said all of this was just a prelude to the actual that's true horror. actually you're like, like in chapter seven or something yeah i'm like well, then i don't need all of that background i need yeah. a little bit maybe reduce a couple chapters i'm 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 hearing you on that actually i I actually would disagree with Lovecraft when he says this is all of just a prelude because it is. Yeah. But maybe that's not something you should write in your book right there, just because it makes people. Well, I actually have I enjoyed. I enjoyed everything up to that point, and I didn't feel like it was a prelude. I think what they're meaning is like everybody in town saw yeah. that last monumental thing. And all of this was just a prelude to it. Like, well, this it, was know, the backstory. And I guess you know, it's the Dunwich Horror, but none of this until the last part of the last chapter is the Dunwich yeah. Horror. Right, right. It, true. Yeah, I, I, agree. Just, I just felt like there was too much buildup. I didn't need to know every little minute detail right. that was given to me. I could have gone without a few. There, there were a few points where I was reading and I started to gloss over because there was just too much side stuff that I didn't I care would, if about. You, 
if you're looking to get into this and you don't want to read it, oh, I wanted to shout them out because they did such a good audiobook of this. Oh, uh, I did. I did start listening to that oh, audiobook. Oh, the, the audiobook that, on YouTube by these guys. I listened to it as well. Yeah. Really well done. They they did a really good job. I know. So I, if you I, don't want to read it, if you don't have the beautiful uh, leather-bound Cthulhu <laughs> mythos which from, from Barnes & Noble. You should really get it. You should really get it. It should be on your library. It's only Chilling. 25 simoleons. <laughs> simoleons. <laughs> Uh, Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. It's a YouTube channel. Look it up. Listen to their rendition. Yeah, that's really yeah. good. It's all, all original music and original reading. They yeah. did, fan- so they did, did a, a fantastic nice job. job. I think I listened to the first chapter with them. Ooh, and then right. I didn't even get to like the good stuff then. Oh, I know. But it, right. just that first chapter. Mm. And then I went back and read it. And it was right. a little Which, boring. by the way, check out the show notes if you like the music behind Azathoth. It is a song called as a thought, and I'll put oh, you got the artist. Safe. Yeah, I'll, I'll, awesome. yeah, I'll, I'll put the artist who did it. It's really cool because as a thought is talked about mm-hmm. in a way of of, of discordant yeah. horns and stuff. So that's really cool. As well with Solomon Kane. So look for that one. That was also a song about Solomon Kane. So those will be in the show notes. But anyway, I love how, that they. How long have we recorded? Like how long is the episode? Uh, Fifty-eight minutes. Um, Okay, I really like how he ties everything into the mountain people, uh, like the mountain people here to Salem Village, because, you know, you have yeah, the whole witch yeah. thing. Yep. And so you even have some of these people with the same name. We come through here. But chapter two, it was in the township of Dunwich in a large yes. and partly inhabited yeah. farmhouse where all of this is going to happen in February of 1913 is where it's going to start out, right? I love this. The mother, Lavinia, has this albino pink-eyed kid, and the grandpa is a horrible wizard named Wilbur. (laughs) Wilbur Wilbur the wizard. And all I can think of is Wilbur the pig. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like, boy, boy, that's some wizard. (laughs) (laughs) But this is some awesome dark feels here because let's just go through what happens here basically Lavinia gives birth to this child and at yep. first we think it's only one child yes yeah and as the child is being being born there's all this stuff like Wilbur is supposedly up on a mountainside right we get this idea there's almost like a stonehenge mm-hmm. up on this yeah. mountain there's top, an altar up there right yeah and 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 grandpa's doing weird things out there and Grandpa says, I like this thing that he says, he said, let me tell you something. <laughs> Someday you folks will hear a child of Lebanese a calling its father's name up on top of Sentinel Hill. And so I put in my notes, at this point, mm. I think dad is Satan. I'm like, okay, you've alluded. I think Lovecraft's trying to throw us for a loop. He's, a, he's tying us to Salem okay. Village. He then talks about how s- Satan... Or, or it talks about, you know, his father, uh, and I'm thinking, oh, it's Satan, it's Satan. And then he even talks about how you hear, like, hooves up in that upper room. Yeah. I'm like, oh, he's hooved. He's starting to look goatish. Yes. Right? This child looks goatish. Huh. I'm like, this is you know, Satan's you, you, you kid. You the Antichrist has been born. Yeah. yeah. And I think he's doing that on purpose. I think he wants us, at first, to think this is satanic mm. and that this is okay. Satan's child. And then he's going to throw us all for a loop yep. into what this oh, all okay. is, right? So the child grows up. So how's old? What, what's his? You know what I thought was? It, it's, they started getting into um, Waitley. Yeah. Waitley. The Waitleys. Um, that's the yeah. family. Yeah. Um, 
about this kid like, oh, and he's he's developing so fast. He's walking at seven months. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not that impressive. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's kind of impressive, but it's not that impressive. Doesn't he start talking, though, yeah, then at like 11 months or something? Like really crazy. When he's and ten, growing hair. Yeah. When he's yeah. 10, he looks like he's four. And when he, you know, 10 months old, he yeah. looks like he's four yeah. years old. He's definitely accelerated yes. sure. beyond what should happen. And then we find out the old Watley place gets gets drastically renovated. Oh, yeah. They all start renovating things. There's obviously something living in mm-hmm. the upstairs yeah. room. What were you guys thinking it was at this time? I was kind of confused. I, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know if dad was there. And then they start talking oh, about bring, they start bringing in cattle, mm-hmm. but the cattle are disappearing. So I'm like, I was again going with Satan. I'm like, I guess they must be sacrificing cows. Mm-hmm. I took it as like they were they had a beast up there, and right. I honestly was expecting. I know this is Lovecraft. He, Lovecraft. He generally doesn't give that twist of like they were trying to help. Right. But like, at, I was kind of sitting there going, well, maybe they're trying to help contain. A monster that has yeah. been set loose, and they're just trying to slowly feed it so it doesn't get so big. Right I agree. Away. I thought and this was all some sort of weird satanic ritual where, yeah. like, the Antichrist had been born, but they maybe have some sort of elder demon that they're feeding or they're sacrificing, keeping a portal open. Yeah. I didn't know what was going on yeah. at first, right? I guess I, I was thinking this was all for the the kid that we knew about. Yeah, that, that maybe they're like giving him or sacrificing goats to keep him alive or give him power. I don't, or, or I mean cows. But anyway, we find out as he grows up, he gets big. He's yeah. like yeah. eight feet tall. Yeah, uh, gangly, weird-looking youth. Dogs hate him, which is always oh, yeah. the first sign something's off. Dogs right? are barking like so, mad, freaking out, and he always has to carry around a pistol or something yeah, like right? that because. <laughs> but this is when he goes to Miskatonic Tonic oh, University after, in Chapter after Five after Grandpa dies. Because oh, Grandpa dies, yeah, right? Yeah, Grandpa tells him he's I feel a... like this is a thing. So keep in mind, Grandpa dying, because we're going to have Grandpa's face appearing later. And yeah. I don't want... I, what does this mean? <laughs> so um, the boy goes to the old Miskatonic University yeah. after the nep- Necronomicon. Just one page oh, yes. out of it. Just yeah, specifically just like one. or something. Yeah, seven, I thought it was seven. Basically, the, like the, the, yeah, some ridiculously... Because he needs to be able to summon... Yog Sagoth. Yeah. Which uh, how how do you write how write down how to summon Yog Sagoth without actually Yog Sothoth. Yog Which okay, I stumbled across somebody who says it's Yog Sothoth. And I guess this is some sort of debate. What a stupid debate to have. But I'm going to go with Yog Sothoth. I mean, there's some people like, that, that uh, pronounce it's not, not Cthulhu, they go Cthulhu. Yeah, Cthulhu. Maybe it's a lot of, whatever. Like, yeah. lose the H's on a lot I don't of care if it's Yog Sothoth no. or Thoth. I, I, I actually I like, like I like the sound of Thoth yeah. better. Yeah. It sounds Egyptian and Elder Goddish yeah. to me. I don't like Thoth. Rolls, rolls off the tongue and just the end, the soft ending just kind of adds I, a little I bit agree. of ominous. I to prefer it. the sound. I guess I don't care. This is all made up. So what do I care? Um, <laughs> this is real. I'm summoning is... him right now in my bedroom. Um, okay. Wait. So we're gonna get this idea of the guy at Armitage University, Mister or the the guy at Miskatonic University, whose name is Mister Armitage. Mm-hmm. He's gonna be our hero, yes. right? He's kind of our weird quasi hero that comes up, but he's gonna start talking about inbreeding and stuff mm-hmm. and and like these you know these Watleys are weird mm-hmm. they know? are to me the the big thing with how weird and different this is from Lovecraft's other stuff is we're third person yeah yes very so much we're so we're jumping around getting different views which i don't yeah. know 
I kind of like how he writes in the first person. I think I, that draws I agree. me in more. I actually have that as a little quick discussion I, question at the end of all this, what you thought of third person oh, I didn't versus mind, everything else. I didn't mind it. I thought it was... I thought I didn't mind it. I just like the first person stuff better. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, don't, I think what it allows him to do in third person is be able to describe things without describing mm-hmm. things. And we'll get to that at the end okay. of this when they do the fight with Yogg-Sothoth because I think that's where that... Why he did third person. Um, okay. But is I think... Is uh, I think there, but we find out they don't give him the page, so then he comes back. Oh yeah, well I'm getting it, and I'm getting the page, and this is pretty cool because yeah. we we don't see a lot of what happens here, mm-hmm. but a dog attacks him, right, and yep. kills him. Yep, yeah, right. So he's huge; he's over eight feet tall, and he is not out. human. Nope. And a dog kills him, yep. right? But I love this the attack on Miskatonic University. I just want to read the description of him. He says. They all walk in and find him laying there. And it says, The thing that lay half-bent on its side in a fetid pool of greenish-yellow ichor and tarry stickiness was almost nine feet tall. And the dog had torn off all the clothing and some of the skin. It was not quite dead, but it twitched silently and spasmodically while its chest heaved in monstrous unison to the mad piping of the expectant whippoorwills outside. A lot of whippoorwills in this Yeah, book. There was, and he's, Lovecraft is going off of some... I, I heard this somewhere where there was a woman he stayed at the house of in Massachusetts, and that was a folk tale she told him something about whippoorwills and the stealing of souls. Mm, okay. And so he's trying, I think, to create that local flair okay. by having this whole whippoorwill thing going on. I'm gonna have to you look know? up what that's what a sound is of that bird. I don't oh, actually. If you listen to the yep. audio book, they put it in there. Yep. Uh, see, I would have I would have known if yeah, I had listened yeah, yeah, on the audio. Yep. yep. Um, but then he just kind of melts away. Melts away. And he they, melts, literally melts, right? Yeah, they, they talk about how he had no bones in him, so whatever gave him structure, like, he had to be living to have that structure to him. And this is where we find huh. out this was all a prelude, and now we get to the yeah. big old what what was actually happening. Mm-hmm. So there was not just one child born to Lavinia. There was two. Yes. And only one of them was able to go out in the public. The other was a complete abomination. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, look up pictures. I, oh, we can't yeah. describe it. No. Look up pictures of what artists have thought this should look like. But it's something. It's usually a meatball kind of. It's a, like a meat, meatball with tentacles, mouths, and eyeballs, uh. right? And it's just kind of moving around. But this thing starts moving around. It breaks out of the house because we find out the Watley place is totally destroyed. One one night, uh, whatever was inside has broken out and has gone down into the ravine, mm-hmm. and people oh, start yeah. chasing around, and it starts coming out and killing people, right? Yeah, it's like. It starts with cows, I think, because that's what it's. I think that it's because that's what it's used to. Right, it's, it's just going to go after the food it's source been that it's cows. always had. Yep, and meanwhile, wow. Doctor Armitage has researched how to kill the thing, and so he gets his team of people from Miskatonic together to go and kill this We're thing. Gonna, you know what? We're gonna all band together and go chant at it. <laughs> it's Which true. I mean, I, you know, I'm just I'm just taking like a weird uh, observation of it. It's yeah. cool when it happens, but it's like, what are you doing? Yeah, because <laughs> they're chanting think, and raising the, and pulsing their arms. Yeah, because oh. basically <laughs> they leave. There's like three of them, and Armitage has like the book to read the spells. One guy has a big game gun, which I can see taken. The other guy has an insect sprayer. <laughs> and you're like, 
All right. Well, all right. The insect, the insect sprayer is so that they can see the creature. Because yes. isn't it invisible when Because at not... first, I don't think they tell us what they're going to use that for. And yeah. so, again, he sets up us up with a weird, like, so what's he going with the insect sprayer for? Just some hick. Like, yeah. I got brought this. <laughs> because Go get whatever, rid of the mosquitoes. Whatever this creature. <laughs> like mosquito duty. <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't disturb the spell. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't be distracted while you're reading the spell. So you got to get rid of the mosquitoes. So you want bugs you want billy ray spray <laughs> this katonic uh, bug control <laughs> that is a new name for a, uh, i think so we got to make company. that one so anyway uh this creature is invisible mm-hmm. that's it's huge but it's invisible right um where's the part who is the people that get killed first the finley's do I, I thought I had it. Elmer Fry. Fry. The fries. Okay. <clears throat> so first of all, they take care of the fries, like the Elmer Fry house. One of them gets destroyed on the phone. Like she's on the phone yeah. and like all of a sudden it just it was, gets yeah, destroyed. Is, I, I loved what it cut to here of like just the hysteria of a town and how they all have to like get on these like party lines. Oh yeah, the old yeah, school party yeah. lines. Yeah, they're on the party lines talking to each other. There's yeah. guys standing around with guns and everybody. Yep. But at the end of the day, the three from Miskatonic are the ones who are going to go up mm-hmm. Sentinel Hill and fight this thing. And this is where everything is told from. Guys looking through spy glasses to <laughs> yeah. the hill. Yeah. It's, I, I yeah. actually, I was looking into a little bit more about Yogg-Sothoth and everything and this book, this one guy on YouTube who talks about like, okay, so we're getting to the climax. We do what any good author would do and we cut away from it. <laughs> we do. We do. And it's because it says- hey, What's going on over here? Because it's, it's white-bearded Dr. Armitage, yeah. Iron Gray Professor Rice, and old Doc Morgan who are sending mm-hmm. the mountain low. And this is what we get from the witness. Chapter 10, the final chapter, it's uh, the- it's witness from afar, and he says, Breaker in a barn, all made of squirming ropes, whole thing sort of shaped like a hen's egg, bigger than anything with dozens of legs like hogs' heads and half shut up when they step. Nothing solid about it, all like jelly, and made a spirit wiggling ropes and pushed close together, great bulging eyes all over it, and 20 mouths or trunks are sticking out. Like, whatever. Oh, yeah. God in heaven. And that's what yeah. I get to by Bigger the time. Bigger barn. It's just huge, right? <laughs> um, and we don't see... Uh, Armitage starts chanting. There's lightning striking. And eventually there's this great thunderous deep vo- voice from a sound of a pit, right? Which they do great on that audio book. Oh, God, the end of that audio yeah. amazing. And then all of a sudden there's this loud report and it flattens all of the people that are watching. And we find out uh, the thing is gone forever. They were successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually think this is smart on yep. Lovecraft's because yep. what is he? What is he doing? They are summoning, uh, or whatever. I don't know actually what's happening here. They are ripping ripping open a tear mm-hmm. time in space. time and space, and Yog Sothoth is going back out through it, mm-hmm. or or whatever. Their son, son is sending going him yeah, home. Sending him home. Go back to daddy. I think if you if you had the viewpoint right there on the ground, it would become weird. Maybe yeah. farcical, maybe yeah. not epic. Like, how do you describe otherworldly things that our minds aren't supposed to comprehend? You have it done from afar yeah. so that whatever you have in your mind, you can just make up. You have it done from afar by a hillbilly. <laughs> that you is know, true. Just a, sim- just a simple <laughs> description that, you know, yeah. not a sign, not a, where not you, a yeah. wizard's description. It's just. Where you just simple... have a guy going, 
Oh God in heaven! Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that is what that is what you have to do. If yeah. you were there, it would be too much. Could it have been? Would it have been nicer if they were a little closer? I think, maybe. Yeah, well, but it's just an odd choice, right? Yeah. Well, and he gives us this this last word of Armitage, the last words in the book. It says, "But as to this thing, we've just sent back." The Watleys raised it for a terrible part in the doings that were to come. It grew fast and big from the, for the same reason that Wilbur grew fast and big, but it beat him because it had a great share of the outsideness in it. You needn't ask how Wilbur called it out of the air. He didn't call it out. It was his twin brother, but it looked more like his father than he did. Now, here's the weird thing. When it's climbing up the hill, it's got old wizard Wilbur Watley's head or something, part of it on top. So here's the thing I gotta ask. How'd Lavinia get pregnant? Daddy. That's what I think. Well, is, I do is. not think they that Yogg-Sothoth did it. It's like he called something into himself and he impregnated Yeah, that was immediately well, what I thought. Yogg-Sothoth is kind of everywhere and nowhere, so it's... And we know that like Natharlahotep, he can take mm-hmm. form that's yes. like human, but I'm taking it he Yogg-Sothoth didn't do the tush pushing. This was I know, Wilbur. I, I, possible. I do like yeah. that disgusting, disturbing twist theory. Yeah, yeah. I think it makes but it all I, the more disturbing. I, I know you, you can... Yogg-Sothoth will grant things to his followers, so maybe that's what old right. Grandpa Wilbur was asking so you think, for. What do you think? Maybe it was an immaculate conception? Could have been. I don't know. Yeah, it was especially when they were talking about the inbreeding of the town and things like that. That immediately brought that. That's to my what mind. I think. I think Lovecraft wanted us to think that Daddy at Daddy a time when daughter, inbreeding but... was not okay, and you probably didn't talk. Well, is it ever okay? <laughs> I was gonna say uh, what? Hold on, let I me retract. You've been on Pornhub. Like, it seems like it's a thing. It might yeah, be a thing. It's true. Uh, but no, I. I I think that's his way of throwing out even something more disgusting overtly without yeah. coming right out and yeah. saying and it. And if, I mean, Yogg-Sothoth is like this all-knowing, all-seeing, oozy eyeball creature that exists outside of the universe. I don't think he's trying to, you know, tap right. that. And yeah. okay, so let's get into stupid trivia right. uh, really quick. There is one theory out there that said Yogg-Sothoth may have been trapped under Mount Sinai with an elder sign, and Moses is the one who released him. And Yahweh is just a version of Yog. That's stupid. What? what? <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, well, uh, first of all, I don't know that you're really going to be able to trap an elder god using an elder sign. I know the elder signs are powerful. You need a lot of elder signs, at least yeah. seven. And, and at, least, at, least. at least a level 18 wizard. So I actually, I, I made the mistake of starting to read comments under YouTube videos oh, as I was God. watching about no. Yogg-Sothoth. Uh, so I hope we get no flames on this because I honestly don't care all that much uh, <laughs> about this whole universe. Um, but what I'm hearing is Yogg-Sothoth is an outer god. He is not one of the elder gods. Uh, um, and he, like Cthulhu, some say is kind of one of his sons or grandchild related to him in some way, right? I mean, obviously, Lovecraft didn't flesh out his mythos, and I don't care what other writers besides Lovecraft have done with the characters. And that's the the purpose. And that's the purpose of a mythos, is it's just fun, play around in it. Here's stuff, use it. 
Use it yeah. for whatever, right? Let your mind go with it. But I kind of like this. He, so supposedly this guy is an outer god, although then I brought it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people have said he can also turn into a quasi-human like Natharlahotep. Because mm-hmm. supposedly Natharlahotep is also an outer god, mm-hmm. which are supposedly one of the, they're the first gods. So maybe the outer gods can turn into human-like. But supposedly like Natharlahotep specifically likes Earth and dicks around with it. Yeah, he just likes screwing with humans. He likes to screw screw around with it. Whereas, I, mean, I don't know, Yogg-Sothoth just kind of hangs out and gets summoned and <laughs> impregnates albino yeah, women yeah. occasionally. Occasionally he gets daddy to <laughs> impregnate so daughter. He just kind of like hangs out, he's listening, he's watching. Hey, will you put a baby in my daughter? Done. <laughs> <laughs> So there you have it, The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, Something pretty disturbing for this Halloween night. Got to end on a good one. Uh, I'd say uh, not not my favorite H.P. Lovecraft. The Color Out of Space is my favorite by far. Oh, yeah. I am completely opposite of you right now. Oh, really? (laughs) That one I did not like. This one I liked way more other than Mm -hmm. just that first beginning. I feel like that first beginning could have been trimmed a little bit. But otherwise, I really enjoyed it. Well, at some point, we'll have to do Call of Cthulhu and then At the Mountains of Madness. And then we'll see out of all of that. Might have read At the Mountains of Madness already. I remember it getting long in the middle. It's probably one of the longer. Mm, And that's why I've never included it with this. But, yeah. Um, So we'll have to see. But I love some H.P. Lovecraft for a good Halloween night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's the show, guys. Uh, be safe out there with the trick or treating. If you're dri- if you're listening to this, driving the kids yeah. around from house to house, <laughs> putting it on while they run up to the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I do, said that like I was do, Canadian. Do people Oops. see? I I I live way out in the country, and we still do like the old Hickville, like get in the car, we're driving to aunts, mm-hmm. and then we're going to you know Grandma Grandma Julie's, and then we're gonna go to Grandma Kathy's, and then we're gonna go down to the Wilkinsons who live down on a lake, <laughs> and so like we. We only hit up like eight houses in the night, but still get a bag full of candy. That's because you live in the country. And yeah, nobody else comes. So I don't so. know. Do people drive their kids around? I drive my kids. I mean, around. I see a lot of. This is where I, we live. We they kind of have to. Yeah, yeah right. they always have to. So, right. but yeah, so. stay safe out there and enjoy. The Thanks night. for coming out. We'll be back soon with part two of Summer Flame. Yeah, hopefully sooner Hope rather than later. Yeah. So, um, well, happy Samhain to you and happy Halloween. I think when I am old, a furtive shape will sit beside me at my fireless hearth. Dabbled with the blood from stumps of severed wrists and flacked with blackened bits of melty earth. My blood ran fire when the deed was done, now it runs colder than the moon that shone. On shattered fields where dead men lay in heaps who could not hear a ravished daughter's moan. Dim through the bloody dawn on bitter winds, the throbbing of distant guns was brought. (laughs) When I reeled like a drunkard from the hut that hid the horror my hands had wrought. So now I fire my veins with stinging wine, and hoard my youth as misers hug their gold. Because I know the shape will come and sit beside my crumbling hearth when I am